Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech. Back in early 2016, Li Xiang was just another overworked magazine editor in Beijing. He was working for a Chinese financial magazine, his latest job of many. The magazine process, as you know, the production process, is very long. From interview to writing and printing, it takes a long time. As you can imagine, there's always delays involved. I always felt like I wasn't in control of that, and I'd have to stay up late into the night to finish the magazine. Just a few months later, Lee's life would change. He decided to start producing a business newsletter on a brand new app that was sweeping the country. In just a few months, that app, Doodal, went from being brand new to attracting millions of users. That name translates to mean I get in English. People go there to get daily advice and learn everything from music to economics. Yeah, it's a bit like Coursera and other online education services in the U.S., but the big difference is that on Dadao, everybody is paying for what they read and listen to. Bringing in money not just for the app's founders, but contributors too. The magazine editor Li Xiang and his team are already generating the equivalent of millions of U.S. dollars. We have close to 100,000 fee-paying subscribers. Each of them are paying an annual fee of 199 renminbi. That's close to 20 million renminbi. That's right. For 10 minutes of content per day, Lee's 100,000 customers pay around $30 each. That's almost $3 million in annual revenue. And it's made Lee Shang richer than he could have imagined back when he was still struggling with long hours and a salaried job at the magazine. And he's not the only one. In China, Didao is just one of a vast economy of mobile apps where people like Li Sheng can make real money. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Selena Wang. And this week on Decrypted, we'll take a look at how China has been able to monetize their smartphone apps like no other country. China has dethroned the U.S. as the largest spender on Apple's App Store. People there spent more than $2 billion in the fourth quarter alone. Now, that's just a fraction of the total money China's consumers spend on apps since most people there have Android devices. Much of this has to do with how China has figured out how to make money from news, entertainment, and social media in a way that the U.S. still hasn't, by making people actually pay for it instead of relying on advertisers. China still has a reputation as a copycat of the West, but really it's Silicon Valley that's now scrambling to learn from the successes we've seen here across the Pacific. Selena, the Dadao app now has 7 million users, and the service is only about a year old. Tell us what it looks like. It's a pretty clean-looking app. You can easily subscribe to channels with content on topics like investing tips or how to listen to classical music or even books and magazines. And this is going to make me really jealous, but people actually pay to subscribe to these channels? Yes, you heard that correctly. None of it is free. Each channel costs the equivalent of about 30 U.S. dollars per year. It can curate content for you as well. There's even a portal to an e-commerce section that sells products like books and high-end jewelry. 
And part of the subscription fee goes directly to people like Lee who create the content? Some of the columnists have even become millionaires. Uh, recently, they opened a column by an economics professor from Peking University. Guess what? In just a month, there are 100,000 subscriptions with 200 buck each. So, which means this professor generated 20 million, okay, IMB. In just a month, he became the richest uh, economist, okay, teaching economics, uh, richest in the world. <laughs> That's Bob Xu Xiaoping, who's one of the early investors in Duodao, and also happens to be the most successful angel investor in China. I spoke to him at a conference. Bob's venture capital firm, called Zen Fund, has made bets on hundreds of startups, some of which are now worth more than a billion dollars or are publicly traded companies. So presumably, Bob has a good idea for startups with potential. Yes, and I asked Bob why he decided to back Luo Zengyu. He's the man who founded the Dodao app. Uh, we used to look at the a founder's profile from education side, from experience side. But uh, the most important point to see is their authenticity. Do they have whatever it takes to do what they want to do? So here's a bit on Luo Zengyu's story. He was a TV producer before he started Luogic Knowledge Group in 2012, and that's the parent company of the Dodao app. Luogic has a very big following, partly because Luo Zengyu is a celebrity in his own right. The company's public WeChat account has 9 million subscribers, and Luo Zengyu has an online talk show that gets 2.4 million views per episode. Okay, so with all this firepower, Dodao's growth is skyrocketing? But Dodao is facing a ton of competitions as well from companies like Doban, Zihu, and Shimalaya. Right, and not to mention Tencent, the Chinese internet giant. Right, and they all allow official channels to charge users for content. But Bob, the legendary angel investor, says Dodao isn't simply a promising company that's growing fast. He thinks this company is going to be truly transformative. Uh, this is uh, by far the you know, uh, largest this company actually uh, created uh, this revolution. So now uh, there is a uh, heat in China, a, a golden rush in knowledge paying services. Bob has seen a lot in his 60 years. He lived through China's cultural revolution and delivered pizzas before going on to found China's leading private education company. So it's high praise for him to say Dadao has started a gold rush in China. Actually, this company actually created a revolution in China. We call it a, a zhishi fufei. Uh, translated literally is a knowledge payment. You pay a fee to knowledge. Li Xiang, the magazine editor we heard from earlier, couldn't have known how all of this would play out when Luo Zengyu, the founder of Duodao, first approached him about brainstorming different ways that journalists could get paid for their work. Before Duodao, Li Xiang had worked at a string of different magazines, including the Chinese language version of Bloomberg Businessweek. This is my full-time job now. When I started, I didn't expect as much attention. I didn't tell my friends or Luo Zhenyu. When I started, I treated it as an experiment. Through the process, I discussed with Luo Zhenyu 
about different ways of providing content without advertisements. He mentioned the idea of an app that asks users to pay a fee to subscribe for content. Lee's story seems incredible, but it isn't as rare as you might think. Lee told me he knows other journalists who have left traditional news organizations to work for themselves and making content for apps like Deladao or the messaging platform WeChat. As you know, many of the journalists in China and many of the content producers move their careers to new media on WeChat. It has a free subscription channel. What Li means there, by free subscription channel, is that anyone can set one up. And this trend of paying for online content goes way beyond just education. Video live streaming is another huge area. This is where people watch anything from people singing, telling jokes, or just going about their daily lives. Think of those random videos you can find on YouTube, but happening live. And Credit Suisse estimates video live streaming alone could generate about $5 billion this year in China. The fact live streaming has become so popular means thousands, maybe millions, of people are able to earn a living this way. Here's Bob. It's a national pastime. There is this guy, a uh, 40-year, 40 some uh, uh, man. Uh, he spent uh, literally, okay, a million dollars <laughs> on the live streaming uh, service, paying to many, 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 uh, we call it a whole hostesses. And he appeared on TV. He said, yeah, it's my way of appreciating them, uh, supporting them. But, uh, you know, that's a very unusual story. But many people would spend lots of money, spend a fortune. The hostesses Bob's talking about are just regular people finding they can make a living talking to or performing for live viewers. People can watch for free, but hostesses make money because people show their adoration by sending them virtual gifts. It's just so different from how the big internet services operate in the U.S. It's really hard to imagine Twitter, for example, asking users to pay before they could follow someone. It's even harder to imagine that Twitter users would accept that. In China, uh, you know, we don't really talk about advertising supported model. Um, You know, whether it's on PC or on mobile, um, there are very few startups that actually um, grow on very big, you know, on the back of just advertising. Now, obviously, by do with search, you know, it's a very classical model. But beyond the search-based advertising model, you'll find that most of the large internet companies in in China uh, actually grew or monetized by charging the consumer directly. That's Jenny Lee, a venture capitalist at GGV. I, I think that the um, the whole idea of having to you know look at an ad before you can um, access the video um, is is just not a very direct way of enjoying the uh, the features. Chinese entrepreneurs, I I have to say, they are very practical. If they can get you know the the consumer to pay them directly, I think that's what they're gonna do. You know, in the U.S., both the companies that make these apps and the content creators would absolutely love it if consumers paid them directly. Right. But as yet, there aren't many examples of big, successful companies that have been able to escape their dependence on advertising. We'll dig into why the Chinese apps have been so much more successful at this than their ad-dependent U.S. counterparts right after, ironically, this word from our sponsor. You know where you want to be. Red Hat has the broad portfolio of open source technologies to get you there. 
Meet your evolving business challenges head-on with secure solutions for the enterprise, including Linux platforms and containers, hybrid cloud infrastructure, application integration and development, operations management, and beyond. Visit redhat.com slash open tech to learn more. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Before the break, we learned that Chinese consumers somehow seem to be so much more willing to pay for what they read or watch on their phones. Now, Bob has one theory as to why that might be the case. Chinese people, relatively compared to the U.S., they are lack of uh, more ways of entertainment. Okay, Many things you know, available here in the U.S., maybe not available in China. Bob is talking about the Chinese government's strict regulation of media. That means the type of information and entertainment that Chinese consumers can read or watch is much more limited than in the West. And you also have cultural and demographic forces at work here. In China, tens of millions of young people have migrated to the large industrial cities. They live far away from their families. So video live stream in particular has become a form of digital companionship. In the U.S., we think of Facebook Live and Periscope as live-streaming tools to broadcast or watch events. Right, but in China, many of these streams are people doing very ordinary things, like putting on makeup, giving advice, or eating food. And it's enormously popular. Some estimates say that more than 312 million Chinese users consume live-stream video in one way or another. Okay, so that helps us understand why people are consuming so much of this content. But does it explain why they are paying for it? I think China actually pioneered the whole um, free-to-play model. In the West, it was always playing, um, you know, it was always paying for time. Um, and and it's, it's critical because the, the whole ecosystem shift to one where the product has to be better designed to cater to the consumer. Because if they're not well done, if the features are not appropriate, the consumers aren't going to pay directly. Um, and that's key. That was the venture capitalist Jenny, and this free-to-play model that she mentioned is a term that emerged from the world of video games. It refers to the games that won't charge you for playing, but you do get the option of paying for all kinds of things that make the game more enjoyable for you. So they hook you in with the $0 price tag, and then before you know it, you end up paying for this and that upgrade. And these games are everywhere in China. And Jenny thinks those games made this act of paying for content seem normal. So now for most people, it's just a habit. The rapid rise of knowledge-sharing apps like Duodao might satisfy another source of anxiety in Chinese society. There is a hunger of knowledge. There is a hunger of quality contents in China. This is Bob, the early investor in Duodao, who we met earlier in the show. So Chinese people, in general, okay, they are eager to study. They are eager to enrich themselves, not only in money, okay, but also in thoughts, in ideas. I think that there is a, a true, you know, hunger among Chinese people to have quality knowledge, quality ideas. Satisfying the intellectual curiosity of China's new middle class. Yeah, and in particular, the venture investor Jenny Lee said, You know, if you think about the millenniums today, uh, China is over 300 million millenniums aged below 35. They're no longer that young, right? This is a this is a population that have graduated. You know, they are in the workforce. Some of them 
uh, they're married. Um, the, 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 the cost of living in China means that most of them don't have their own home. Part of that translates into uh, the urge to continue to invest back into their own uh, learning and education. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention how much the shift to mobile computing has played a role in the way people use the internet in China. For millions of people in China, a smartphone was their first internet-connected device. They may not have money for a computer or laptop, but companies like Xiaomi were selling phones at very affordable prices. So, you know, when, when the mobile phone becomes your only access to the internet, you actually do everything there, right? Because it's, it's your... Uh, point of sale to a certain extent, your point of access to information, uh, to commerce, and, you know, to consumption. Now, I want to focus on commerce for a moment. China never had an established credit card system like in the U.S. So with the arrival of smartphones, China leapfrogged to mobile payments. That explains the rise of WeChat and Alipay, which connect your phone to your bank account. Now, some Western listeners are probably thinking, sure, they have Venmo or Apple Pay or Google Wallet. But just to put things in perspective, China's mobile payment market is nearly 50 times bigger than in the U.S. Alipay started out as the online payments processor for Alibaba's e-commerce sites. And WeChat Pay is the payment service linked to Tencent's ubiquitous social messaging app. These two services operate in a market that's already worth $5.5 trillion. Geez, just to put this in perspective, for those of us in the U.S. who are used to using messaging apps only for messaging, all this might sound strange. But Chinese consumers use WeChat for everything, from paying for groceries to taxis to booking manicures. The mobile payment in China uh, probably is the most uh, uh, convenient in the whole world. That's Bob again, the angel investor. You can pay people even one cent, okay, one buck without uh, paying a fee. So people are extremely comfortable using mobile phone to make a payment. So in other words, China already had the systems and habits in place to make it really easy for people to spend money on these various apps. After all, you wouldn't pay for something if it wasn't easy to do. The latest twist on all of this is that in China, online shopping has started to converge with what we normally think of as social media. So, Selena, what's the difference here? Why haven't Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, etc. been able to get users buying things on their apps? I spoke to Richard Liu recently. He's the CEO of JD.com, the second largest online retailer in China. He thinks that even huge companies like Facebook need to get even bigger to turn users into customers. Only in China, Tencent, who owned the social media, they, they have one. They are our largest shareholder. Almost 20% of our total shares. So, I mean, if Facebook like or Google owned Amazon 20% of share, I think they can combine. What he's saying is, Richard thinks that the China model would only work in the U.S. if Facebook or Google acquired a part of Amazon so that our incentives would be aligned to boost each other. And that, of course, is incredibly unlikely. It's somewhat more probable that Amazon might acquire or build its own social media tool. But barring that, what's it going to take for American Internet users to feel like spending money on the mobile apps they have on their phones? It's exciting uh, innovation, uh, in, only in China. So many people are not trying to copy it, uh, you know, to America. Many Chinese companies, okay, they want to do the similar things you know, uh, to America. 
Basically, Bob thinks it will be Chinese companies, not U.S. companies, bringing about this change. In fact, we're already starting to see that happen. You know, the one term we use is called KFC.、Uh, it's a, a copy, which is a, the Chinese for copy,、uh, from China. Charles Fan is the CTO of Cheetah Mobile. It's a publicly traded Beijing-based company that makes utility apps for smartphones. He noticed a few years ago that there was huge opportunity to make money by copying Chinese app innovations and bringing them to America. I think we'll see more and more KFC concepts, where、uh, some things like mobile payment, like live broadcasting, kind of first see so it's success in China, and then it then goes to other countries, including U.S. First of all, they're going to need an acronym other than KFC. But it is interesting because for a long time there was an arrogance in the West around China copying our ideas, not the other way around. And today, the fast-growing part of Cheetah Mobile's business is its live streaming service, Live.me, which targets the U.S. market. The app only launched a year ago, and it already has more than 20 million users and more than 200,000 hours of content streamed daily. So it seems like there is a possibility that U.S. consumers are catching on to trends like watching live stream video and paying for at least some form of virtual content. We have proven them wrong,、uh, you know, just by by practice.、Um, the uh, uh, it turned out, you know, that the scale of population might not be quite at the level of China, but. The the answer to both questions seems to be yes. You know, yes, there are enough people who are interested in broadcasting or watching broadcasts,、uh, and uh, is, is there are people who are willing to pay、uh, for virtual gifts. That said, there are also U.S.-based companies that are starting to pick up on some elements of Chinese apps. Today, I, I think that there's so much learning between U.S. and China market that a lot of the U.S. Internet players、uh, and companies are realizing that they need to add that social element. They need to add the gamification element and the whole virtual currencies、uh, elements. Now, a good example of this is Twitch, which is a site actually owned by Amazon, where you can watch people play video games. It's planning to make it easier for the gamers that stream themselves, these content creators, to make money on the site with a feature called cheering that lets fans buy animated emoticons and send them to their favorite video game stars. That sounds kind of similar to the virtual gifting that we've seen with the live streaming apps in China. Yeah, and Twitch has already had success allowing its biggest stars to collect not just ad revenue but also a subscription fee from their viewers, which is of course shared between Twitch and the stars. What are some other examples? Well, Apple's iMessage has added stickers that you can pay for. Facebook allows you to pay for things inside its messaging platform, and Snapchat has talked about adding premium filters that charge a fee. These are all interesting, but none of them have achieved the scale or success of what's happening in China. I mean, Brad, do you have a bank account connected to Facebook or Snapchat? I certainly don't. That would be a negative. Although I am more willing these days to use something like PayPal to pay for pieces of content online. And that's true. I mean, I have considered now and then maybe switching from Venmo and paying my friend through Facebook. I could, I could see it happening potentially in the future. It's also probably worth noting here, Selena, that over the last couple of months, some major newspapers like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, have seen tremendous growth in their digital subscriptions. So it does seem like Westerners are, are becoming a little more comfortable with the idea of paying for digital content. Definitely, a lot of these innovations in China are coming as a whole news industry is kind of being up. 
upended as we're all searching for ways to make money beyond ads. So I think that a lot of the successes over there give us some hope over here. It does seem like the thing that we haven't gotten to here in the in the West was an idea that was very popular early on in the Internet. And that's people paying for micro content, for individual articles or individual, as we say earlier in the in the show, programs like live streams. That's the thing that perhaps people aren't quite comfortable with yet. Uh, but tell us, Lena, what's the magazine editor Lee Shing up to today? Well, I mean, he's already pulling in millions of dollars in revenue from just one daily column. So he's really thinking about what's next. We foresee a big change of my team and my company in terms of the content and the business model. Our current users are only coming from this one product. In the future, we're looking to launch more products and more programs. The current one is just focused on business and opinion. We are exploring other products in the future. And that's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. Please get in touch. You can record a voice message and send it to us at decrypted at Bloomberg.net. Or I'm on Twitter at Selena underscore Y underscore Wang. And I'm at Brad Stone. Please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more listeners find our show. This episode was produced by Pia Gadkari, Aki Ito, Liz Smith, and Magnus Henriksen. Thanks to Nico Grant, who helped with some research for today's show, and to Lillian Chen, who helped with Mandarin translation. Robin Agello edited my print story about the app economy in China, which you can read at Bloomberg.com tech. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Decrypted is brought to you by Red Hat, whose broad portfolio of open source technologies for the enterprise helps you get from where you are to where you want to be. Red Hat, the open technology to help you realize your vision. Learn more at redhat.com slash open tech.